Good evening, and welcome to Bird Calls from the Knoll Foundation Studios here at Red River Radio. Tonight's program is made possible in part by the Community Foundation of North Louisiana. To take your calls tonight, we have a phone bank of volunteers. We invite you to call in with your questions about our feathered friends and the avian world at 800-552-8502. Again, that's 800-552-8502. I'm Cliff Shackleford, your host of Bird Calls, which has been on the air here at Red River Radio for over nine years. I'm ready to answer your questions about birds this evening, so let's hear from you by calling us at 800-552-8502. So we're going to start off with a recap of last month's conservation tip. We end every episode with a conservation tip, and last month we talked about three national bird conservation organizations that were worth highlighting, worth knowing about, worth contributing towards, worth getting involved as, as those of us that are interested in this stuff. So I, you know, there's lots of conservation organizations out there. I can't highlight them all. So again, I just picked the three that have a primary focus on birds and they have a national spread, a national focus. So those three, interestingly, they they have to figure out different niches. Just like our, our birds, they have to find different niches. They can't be doing the identical same thing. So they find different niches. And so, so these, these nonprofit groups. And so I profiled, um, the first one I mentioned was the American Bird Conservancy. And uh, we had Bill Bardish in the studio in November of last year talking about what ABC does. And normally I'd refer people to the past shows, but that was our, what we call the lost episode. We had some technical difficulties, so we, we don't have that one to go back to and listen to. But the, uh, the next organization was the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. We had a guest back in August of 2022, Colin Hanks, with Cornell Lab, and he he called in from Ithaca, New York, and uh, you can hear his episode um, by going to redriverradio.org and and look for the Bird Calls episode for August of 2022. And then the third NGO is the Audubon Society, the National Audubon Society, and I mentioned urban centers because in my state, Texas. Um, they've got three urban centers, and, and those other orgs don't have any in Texas. So I, I commend Audubon for doing that, for putting centers, nature centers in urban settings where kids don't go out in the woods. They might not leave the pavement. They might not get to see the stars at night. Um, so two of those urban centers are in Dallas. They're called Dogwood Canyon and Trinity River. Audubon Centers, and then the third one is in San Antonio at Mitchell Lake. So if you're in either of those cities ever visiting or you live there, I would encourage you to visit one of those nature centers and learn more about birds. And again, learn more about these these three NGOs if you're interested in getting involved, um, um, advocating, and uh, supporting these groups. Uh, They're definitely worth doing so. 
Um, before we go to our profile species, I thought I would mention that last episode we got a call from, looking at my notes here, we got a call from Northeast Texas asking about winter storms and what do they do to birds. And, you know, we had a pretty significant one in much of the South around Christmas time uh, six weeks ago. But most people remember the big whopper of a storm that lasted for about a week in, in, in this listening area, and that was URI, U-R-I, Winter Storm URI, and that was in February of 21. And so the caller asked about that, and, I, and, and it was the last call of the, of the program. We had, you know, 48 seconds left, and I need 48 minutes to talk about something like that. So I got to thinking, and this might make things easier for people interested, I, I gave a talk that was on Zoom to the Travis Audubon Society, and, and we put that the link to that Zoom that was recorded, we put the link to that Zoom call, it's a YouTube video, and you can find that on the Bird Calls page. So go to redriverradio.org, go to Bird Calls, scroll down just a little bit to birding resources, and boom, you'll see where it says, do winter storms kill birds? And if you're interested, that video is about 45 minutes long. And I talk about several things you know first of all finding dead birds is really tough so it's really hard to quantify whether winter storms kill birds um, and i excluded you know talking about cholera avian cholera and waterfowl people can find that find big numbers and it's pretty amazing when you come ac across a wetland and there's thousands of dead ducks and geese but that's not what we're talking about we're talking about did the winter cold kill birds so I researched the, pub, the publications that were out there, the published literature, and I mentioned this in that YouTube video. Um, I explained how birds are really built for cold. They have fat reserves. They can migrate. Um, I also described how several species that were hit hard by the winter storm were actually in surplus numbers. Um, and so that's a good thing. We, we had some to give. I hate to put it in those terms, but... Um, we, we're not hurting in numbers of things like American robin, robins, eastern bluebirds. These are birds that have big surpluses population-wise across the country. And then at the end, I, I pointed at things that are killing birds 24-7. Because think about how rare these winter storms are. And if you're really concerned about them, they're, they're not happening any, even annually. They're, they might happen... You know, we've had a couple in the last two years, but we might go 10 years and not have another one. But there are plenty of things that are killing birds 24-7, and, and I end that presentation with that. And that, I think, is the point of that presentation was to point fingers at what we can do to minimize bird deaths. If you're really concerned about birds dying, and if you think that winter storms are the reason for bird deaths and that we should worry about winter storms, I'm pointing to what we should worry about. Things like, you know, keeping our cats indoors. If we've got windows that keep getting struck by birds um, flying into the windows, we can do things about that. Keeping your feeders and your bird baths clean. Um, because just like COVID, we've learned that 
a sick bird coming to a feeder or a bird bath can make everybody else that's coming to that same feeder or bird bath can make them vulnerable and die too. Um, so we've learned that with COVID. We learned that, you know, you can't get on an airplane, um, you know, without getting other people infected. You can't go into the Grand Central Station and so forth. So same thing with birds. We, we have to you know, look at where the 24-7 bird kills are and try to make a difference there. So I'd encourage listeners, especially the caller that called in about that, I'm happy to talk about this topic. We can talk about it, but I do have some in-studio guests I'm going to introduce in a minute um, that I'm really excited about. But anyway, go go to, to the Bird Calls homepage, look for that presentation, and uh, and hopefully you'll enjoy that. Profile species. Tonight we're going to profile the American white pelican. Typically on this show we play a vocalization or two of the species we're profiling, but not tonight since the pelican, despite making some occasional brief grunts, is virtually silent. I can't think of a more silent bird in North America than the white pelican. For most bird sounds we use on this show, the online site xenocanto.org has virtually no recordings of an adult white pelican vocalization. This is not due to a lack of effort by wildlife recordists. Instead, it's due to a lack of sounds produced by this particular species. The American white pelican is highly migratory, occurring in the Red River Radio listening area, mostly during the colder months. Most individuals start arriving here in late September and early October and stick around until spring. This wetland bird needs open water that doesn't freeze over in winter. In summer, most white pelicans nest colonially on remote islands and shorelines of lakes that are sprinkled across the central and northern Great Plains. Any summering pelican here in the south might be an injured individual that can't make the journey north. One exception is a long-time single breeding colony on Padre Island National Seashore south of Corpus Christi, Texas. There's no mistaking this giant all-white bird with black, black flight feathers and a large orange bill. Larger than any swan or whooping crane, this is likely the largest and heaviest species of bird native to North America. Their wingspan is an astounding nine feet in length because of its large size and weight. Most flights, especially during migration, involve pelicans gliding effortlessly on thermals, just like raptors. In the breeding season, most adults grow a fibrous plate on the top of their bill with its exact function unclear, but it's then shed during the next molt. This plate is often, often erroneously referred to as a horn. When high up in the sky, especially during migration, the American white pelican can be mistaken for two other large all-white birds with black in their wings, the whooping crane and the wood stork. Use caution when making this ID when these species are tiny specks high up in the sky. The fish-eating pelican feeds best cooperatively and does not plunge from the air like its cousin, the brown pelican. Instead, the American white pelican forages often in groups that are floating on the water surface where they dip their bills in the water when fish are ready to be scooped up into the bird's large bill and then swallowed whole. The extra modifier American distinguishes this species from the great white pelican, 
found in the Eastern Hemisphere. By the way, there are only seven species of pelicans in the world, and the U.S. has two of them, the American white pelican and the brown pelican. To see a photo of an American white pelican snapped by James Childress, please visit the Bird Calls page at redriverradio.org. Okay, we're going to move on to our guests who are sitting here and excited to get on the air with me here. We have the, this is the Game Warden episode, and in the past, we've had this, these guests twice in the past. Our, our Louisiana guest has retired, Troy retired, and he's been replaced. And, and Mike, welcome to the show. Um, I'm going to introduce Mike Cook with Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries. And then we'll introduce our Parks and Texas Parks and Wildlife Game Warden, who's done this before, so he goes last. So, how about it, Mike? Tell us a little bit a little bit about yourself. Yes, sir. I'm Mike Cook. I was born and raised here in Shreveport. Uh, done a lot of things. I was in the Army for a while after high school. I was a Shreveport firefighter for a while, and then uh, I've been doing this job here for about a little over seven years. Um, currently live in Caddo Parish, and I patrol these seven northwest parishes in Louisiana. Right. I'm assigned to Caddo, and, you know, just kind of go wherever. Okay, that's a big area, seven parishes. How, how many miles do you put on your vehicle every year? Quite a few. 100,000? <laughs> I don't know about 100,000, but, but quite a few. Pretty pretty big yes, number, sir. okay. But that's good. You get a new truck every few years, right? I'd like to think so. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that, I mean, that's one thing that game wardens do. They cover a lot of territory, and they need to have wheels to do so. And let's hear from Scott Robertson. Scott's with the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, and I've mentioned this on the show when he's been on here before. The, the thing that Scott and I have in common is that his grandfather, his paternal grandfather, was on my thesis committee 30 years ago when I did my master's work. And uh, Dr. Robertson has, of course, since died. And so Scott is a, is a grandson who's keeping on the tradition, working with wildlife. And I, I'm super excited. So, Scott, tell us about yourself and what you do. Well, um, like I said, my name is Scott Robertson. I am uh, East Texas, East Texas, born and raised in Nacogdoches County and um, got stationed in Harrison County, Texas, and uh, been going on about 11 years. I believe, and, and have been in Harrison ever since. So we uh, we like it. It's home. It's not far from where we're from. So uh, we get to get to do a lot of things. Harrison is a very is a very unique county. Lots of work. Caddo Lake uh, Caddo Lakes is a is a spectacular place that holds lots of diversity of wildlife and lots of recreating for different kinds of kind of folks. That's uh, I dare to say it's a uh, probably the eighth wonder of the world because we have we have lots of different uh folks from different countries that uh that will come and visit caddo so we uh no shortage of different folks and different wildlife at the same time you mm-hmm. know so well and, and i have to mention this i i'm going to put scott on the spot here but if, if listeners remember the december episode of this show which was december 13th we had uh severe weather coming all across the listening area i mean it was hitting the tower in lufkin nacogdoches it was certainly sweeping over us here in shreveport 
we're talking thunder, lightning, rain, and worse, tornadoes. We didn't even know we were going to have the show. I mean, I bet 15 minutes before the show, we were at the point where we didn't know if we were going to be in the studio or headed for a bunker somewhere. There was a tornado so close. Well, that same storm crossed over Marshall, Texas, where Scott's from, and a bolt of lightning that night or evening hit his house and burned his house down. And I didn't know about it. And I had been texting him a couple days later saying, hey, we just had the December episode. Hey, I hope you're ready to do the February episode. It's coming up. You know, I like to keep the guests prepped and ready. And he said, yes, sir, I'm ready to do it. Well, about a day later, I see the local news. I'm in Nacogdoches, about 80 miles away. We share the same local news. And there's Scott on the TV on the in Marshall talking about how he, he, he's a game warden and his house burned down. Luckily, wife and kids and the two dogs got out. Uh, but yeah, we, we rode over here together and he told me about smoke problems and you know, not one stitch of clothing can survive. Even if it didn't burn up, the smoke just ruins it forever. So Scott, thank goodness that you're, you and your family are safe and we knew exactly what was going on that night, but we had no idea it would do something like that. So. Uh, thank, thank you that you're, you, you and your family are all all right. Tell, tell us what your son did. You said you told me a minute ago what your son did with the pups. Yeah, well, so my, my son was at home. I mean, I was in town, but just not at home. And uh, lightning hit about 5 p.m. And um, he called and said, hey, the house is on fire. I said, all right, get out, do what you're supposed to do. So uh, He's my, 13. Yeah, he's 13. So my son... Um, he had one one pup under his arm one one collar you know the big dog with a collar and ran out of the house and took him down the end of the driveway like we like we taught him to do to go to the neighbor's house and uh, no questions just got out he was safe nobody was hurt and uh so we can't really ask for much more than that yeah yeah so yeah that's good and your wife and daughter were off doing other stuff thank goodness they weren't around yeah uh, my wife was getting off work and um she was going to pick up our daughter mm-hmm. you know from from after school care yeah. So. yeah and then you told me this has been what two months you told me on the drive up we carpooled here that you uh you found a house and you're putting a putting a contract on it so that that sounds like you're getting your life back slowly but surely we're getting back to it. normal yeah yep. so great great stuff there Th- thank you for sharing that scott so I, I want to remind listeners, this is a call-in radio show. The number is 800-552-8502. You can ask any questions about birds to me, or better, you can ask anything dealing with law enforcement for wildlife to our two game wardens here. The reason we have two is because the laws are often a little different between the states. Um, and so we've got a Louisiana game warden and a Texas game warden. I couldn't bring in Arkansas and Mississippi. I apologize. We only have three hot seats here in the studio. But, but hopefully these guys can answer your questions. And uh, so feel free to call 1-800-552-8502 and, and have your question ready for me on birds or for these guys on game warden issues and law enforcement and protecting wildlife and you know, keeping hunting and fishing safe and boating safe and all those kinds of questions. But until we get our first caller, I have some questions for you guys. 
And um, let's start with, uh, with Mike. Um, so this happens a lot. You see somebody hits a deer, it's along the road. Um, what can you do? Can you take a, take a deer home and salvage the meat? Um, tell us what, what the law says on that. Yes, sir. That's a, that's a common, common uh, call or complaint we get quite a bit. Um, you're not supposed to really mess with any sort of roadkill in Louisiana, but at the same time, we don't like to see any, uh, any animals go to waste. So if you do hit a uh, deer with your vehicle, we would tell you to call the sheriff's office, make an accident report with them, and generally one of those people, one of the deputies, will get a hold of us, or PD will get a hold of us, and uh, we'll, we'll try to let, if there's anything salvageable, let that individual take that animal home so it doesn't go to waste. Uh, sometimes they're not salvageable. Sometimes people don't report them. It's you know just kind of real hit and miss. But that's the general general consensus is call somebody and we'll let you know what to do. Okay. So Texas, is there anything different, Scott, than what Mike said? No, sir. That's uh, pretty much verbatim how it works over in Texas for us as well. We don't we don't want to see anything go to waste. I mean, there's lots of folks that needs need you know groceries to eat and uh and sometimes they don't want it but they'll take it to a food bank i mean we have hunters for the hungry in our county which our local processor will process it at at no cost and then donate that processed meat to uh to the food bank so so people will be able to uh in in need will be able to get to to get some meat mm -hmm. so now this might be where a game warden is needed what if the deer is severely wounded but not dead that's where you guys would probably step in right scott um so if if we're available um they the sheriff's department we we dispatch through the through the harrison county sheriff's department they'll give us a call and if we're out and about or close enough we'll go put it down and then do the same we'll donate it to that uh, to that individual who hit it or take it to a food bank but if we're not our deputies are real good um in the county about putting them down for us because we only have two in our county yeah. and uh, we have a very good relationship with our sheriff's department and so they uh, they help us out quite a bit in that area and that's that's definitely the most humane thing to do uh, with a, a deer it's not something you're going to want to pick up and take to the local wildlife rehabber that they're usually too far gone mike do you have anything to add to finding a wounded deer it's very similar uh we will uh when we get a call about it we will go through our dispatch and get a wildlife biologist that works for our department to come out there, assess the situation, and put the deer down if need be. And then from there, they'll try to give the meat to somebody that needs it, or they'll usually collect uh, tissue samples for uh, chronic waste and disease surveys and things like that, just to keep an eye on the population. Yeah, yeah I think the, the important thing to remember is, is that there are probably, there's probably a time where there's somebody in a clunker it sees a deer right on the side of the road and says, ooh, the rule is if it's, if, I, if it's dead on the side of the road, I can take it home. No, that's not what we're saying. And we're trying to eliminate that. So the clunker guy can't just try to go harvest meat any month of the year. So remember what these guys said, you gotta call it in and they will donate it to a needy family. So the guy with the clunker is not needy. He, he may have gone out of his way and popped the curb to kill that deer thinking he's going to take it home but that is a, an illegal activity so you've got to call it in make it official and let the the law enforcement decide who's going to get the donation of the meat because like these guys said 
they don't want to see it go to, go to waste. Okay, uh, Operation Game Thief. Um, Mike, let's throw that one at you. Um, so explain how Operation Game Thief works and does it really help? Yes, sir, absolutely. Operation Game Thief in Louisiana, we have a, a text in line where you can text in an anonymous complaint or you can call our Operation Game Thief number and uh, file an anonymous complaint. And it's, it's, it's really hard for us to do our job without good information for the, for the public. All of us in Louisiana like to, uh, you know, we'd rather, you know, you, you got to have that good intel and that good information to really know what's going on. 90% of the people that we contact are not violating. They're just out off hunting, fishing, enjoying their day. And there's that small percentage that, you know, enjoys going out there at 2 in the morning, blasting deer off the road or shooting too many ducks or tripping ducks or things like that, too many fish. So we can't get any of that information and contact those people without anonymous tips from the public. So the way it would work is if you had a complaint or some information, you call those numbers, text that number, and then we'll get a hold of it, reach out to you if you'll allow us, which is always best, so we can really see what's going on. And we keep your name and information anonymous. And if we're able to make a case on it, uh, then we'll show up to your house with an envelope full of money. And that's basically the way it works. So That's pretty cool. Scott, what do you have to add about that? It's uh, it's very similar, um, almost identical, um, actually. So, but uh, I'm I'm going to echo what uh what what Mike said is is the more information that we get on an on an event, the better, because sometimes we'll get you know, Cooks Road, somebody just shot a deer. Okay, well that just shot. By the time that they call our our hotline, and it goes through through our our communications and headquarters and get back gets back to us maybe an hour or so or you know just shot to them maybe an hour ago you know so and by that time they're not there but if they give us time details location Mm -hmm. you know exactly you know um that that helps us out a lot and then they they also as far as texas goes has the op have the option to remain anonymous which is fine we respect their wishes and when we never reveal a source uh, we don't want to put anybody in danger and we also want to protect that relationship that if they call once then they, they they'll do it again and so um we we are very careful about revealing who what when where why and all of that um and but most of the time where i am uh folks want to stay anonymous they don't mm-hmm. they don't want to make you know make the neighbor mad or or something like that so um Sometimes we get scraps to work with, and sometimes we get a case handed to us. But uh, it's a very valuable tool that um, that that we have, and it uh, and it works quite well. Okay, so you need details. So it's just like if you know a bank robber, you need to know what kind of car, or maybe the license plate if you saw it. But in this case, you need time, date, location. Maybe get your cell phone out, take a picture or something like that. What about cyber? criminals is that would you call operation game thief if you were on facebook or saw something illegally selling on craigslist is that for operation game thief or is that should that go straight to the department what do you, what would you say to that scott let's go to you um so we actually get quite a bit of those actually um so wildlife crimes is uh online wildlife crimes is um is is very high as far as dollar amount and and popularity 
Um, it's uh, it, it rivals human trafficking and narcotics on a on, on a grand wow. scale. Um, and so we get quite a few of those. You know, somebody has a baby raccoon they want to sell on on um, Craigslist. Mm-hmm. You know, may not sound like a big thing, but if that if that uh, raccoon has rabies or you know another disease, um, we we had a two years ago I think we had a, a very bad outbreak of distemper in in Harrison County, and uh, which affects pets, mm-hmm. which affects people. And yeah. so um, it may it may not seem like it's a big deal, but you know for for public safety yeah. it actually is. And so people reporting um, electronic crimes is is it can go through um, it can go through the uh, the Operation Game Thief as well, just or direct call to sheriff's department or direct call to us either mm-hmm. or. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've mentioned this on past shows is. You know how in the old days, we before we had cell phones and Googling numbers, we made sure we had several phone numbers on our refrigerator magnetized to our fridge that everyone in the house knew. You know, this was even pre-911. You had the phone number for the fire station, the police, and, and I always say add the game warden, to your local game warden to that. Um, that way when you have a sighting of something that's game related, you, you can call the right person because uh, you don't want to mess with the fire department when you're calling about this kind of stuff. They don't, they're going to just, you know, route you to the right person. So ha- have these guys handy um, when you're ready to turn in somebody like that. So, um, okay, so this is Bird Calls. You're, you're listening to us on Red River Radio. The phone number here, because this is a call-in show, is 1-800-552-8502. Again, 800-552-8502. This is Cliff Shackleford. This is Bird Calls. You can ask questions about birds. And quite uh, opportunistically, you can ask your game warden questions tonight because we have two seasoned game wardens on the show tonight. So please call and ask them your questions. Uh, Until someone calls, I still have uh, some more questions. So um, let's see. We're going to start with you this time, Scott. Um, what kind of game violation scenario have you come upon in the field where you just had to call for backup and why? Well, so night hunting um, is, a, is a very big, very big issue where we are. We're in a pretty rural county, um, and uh, so that's it can be pretty dangerous you know because sometimes folks will call the the operation game thief line or call the sheriff's department hey i just saw a spotlight on the road or i heard a shot and that's what we do you know we go and respond if we're not out we'll suit up and go and um on those you know it's you never know what you're going to run into you never know if it's going to be one one person or a truck full of them and so if um if uh if I get those, I at least put somebody on standby. But the one that kind of brings to is last year, I dealt with a repeat individual, and they ended up bailing out of the vehicle running. I got deputies. We kind of had to do a surround them and, and go find them. But, uh, in the woods? It, they ran out in the woods? Yeah, they stashed the truck and then took off running. At and, night uh, in the woods? At night. It was probably about 1 o'clock in the morning. Ooh. And uh, so there we are, you know, dark, you know, nobody around, right. mean and unknown amount of individuals 
and so uh, I call definitely call the sheriff's department for help, and they and they come you know running, glad to do it. So um, that's pretty common yeah. actually, especially you know during deer season. But uh, you know, like I said, it's a rural place where I am, and so uh, you know I'm we're assigned counties. Um, so as our pri- as our primary area of responsibility, um, I think Mike, y'all do zones, right? We do. We're we're all assigned parishes. Like I'm assigned Caddo Parish. Okay. There's two agents per parish, but we just kind of stick to our region. So these seven parishes up here would be Region One. So that's gotcha. what we patrol. Yeah, that night nighttime stuff. I'd be scared about approaching any vehicle at night. That's some scary stuff. Um, Mike, what do you have to add to that? Have you come across a scenario that you just freaked out? And you thought I need backup. Um, and if you haven't, that's fine. It's your day's coming. Yes, sir. Uh, I don't know where to begin. Oh, <laughs> I work. A list. I work a lot of uh, a lot of night hunters and things like. That. I mean, the, the list is endless. Whether it be a a boat in DWI and you got thirteen people on a ski boat and the operators impaired, mm-hmm. you know, you have your boat to deal with, the uh, suspect to deal with, all the other people with them to deal with. There could be kids there uh night hunting especially anything having to deal with people and guns at night that are trying to be sneaky or you know or, or especially like a night hunter on foot you know in the woods in the dark it's yeah. you know you you try to keep you know you try to keep yourself safe because you know it at the end of the day we want to go home safe we want you to go home safe and that's our number one goal not only protect the resources but also protect people and you know we don't want anything bad to happen to anybody and, uh, you know, we just, people too. Right, and, right. Well, if you have a list, let's hold hold that thought because we might come back to that um, here in a minute. But this is Bird Calls. Um, call in radio show 800-552-8502. We have our first caller, John from Fishville. John, what do you have tonight? Hey, Cliff. Uh, we've got uh, an issue with uh, hawks. Uh, well, we've probably got four different types of predator birds up there, eagles and hawks and all. And uh, I'm, we've lost two dogs, three dogs to them. And we have uh, on our little family homestead here, we've got uh, some pigeons, that they're kind of tumbler pigeons. And also, uh, well, we've got some small children around here too. So <laughs> I wonder what we can do to sort of keep those hogs uh, hawks. Uh, is there anything we can do to kind of scare them away? I know we can't shoot them. Okay. So, what, what do you think we ought to be able to do? Now, here's another point. Uh, they've clear cut thousands and thousands of acres right in our area. So, those hawks have got, uh, they've moved into our area where there's lots of food. So, I, I'd like some advice. I know. Game wardens, we're not going to we're not going to go out and shoot them. Yeah, because that that be uh, that's against the law. Right. So we don't want to do that. But okay. There, like, could I go out there with air horns and blow the blow some noise at them? Or anything like that? Yeah. Let, which which you guys want to jump on this one? Go for it. Okay. I'll, t- I'll take it. Uh, yes, sir. We, I I have bird problems too in my garden. Crows eating all my watermelons, and you know hawks eating my chickens and stuff. And I mean, there's a couple things you could try. You could try to make some noise, air horns. You could try maybe a scarecrow or something, or one of those little owl decoys that kind of shimmy around like that. I mean, just definitely, definitely don't shoot them. That's that's a big no-no. They're they're protected. 
Scott, anything to add to what no, Mark said? No, I mean, um, another thing that's that's pretty effective, you just have to change it up a little bit. It's kind of like an air horn, but it's a propane cannon, and uh, it goes off at different times and different sequences and stuff like that, so they don't get used to it. Um, you can set it for hours, minutes, you know, days, whatever. It's pretty common for, for big croplands and, and whatnot, but it sounds like that might be an option for you where you are. Yeah, it's called a propane cannon. Yes, sir. Where would I find it? Oh, down at the game store, yeah. Okay, well, that's, that's the advice I needed, so we'll go for that. Yeah, and John, just remember that without raptors, we'd be overrun with all the things we all hate, rodents, well, snakes, mm -hmm. and so yep. forth. So, I know. It's, it's a balance. Yeah, and, and I would also recommend that, that you know, we, we might be assuming that the hawks are doing this to your pets, but without witnessing it, we're, we call this guilt by association. And yeah, so we have. We've witnessed that. Okay. Uh, if you've yeah. witnessed it, that's one thing. You mentioned you have kids. I, I don't know, you know, <laughs> of raptors doing anything to kids. On, on, the exception is when... A raptor has a nest and they're being good parents and yeah. they they have young in the nest and they perceive the dogs the kids you and me uh, even a squirrel running by or a cat running by as, as a perceived threat so being good parents those raptors will swoop at you to scare you away and it, it sure works but that shouldn't be confused with trying to pick up the six-year-old kid and take him off carry him off and hawks can't do that most yeah. of our hawks don't even weigh two pounds, and they cannot carry and kill anything that weighs as much or more than they do. So, yeah. um, so we, we need hawks, and I feel for you. We, we, you know, as people with chicken coops need to have a, a roof on their chicken coop. You can. We've talked about that before on our show. There are people that have figured out how to make a mobile chicken coop, so that way, when everything gets eaten up, they just pull the tractor. And pull the coop to a new spot and they've got fresh grass to pick through and and uh, fresh area to, to wander around in so because um, otherwise you know what predators like chicken because it tastes so good I mean oh, yeah. I like chicken I eat chicken once a week at least so I don't blame them but but it's our job if we own these critters to keep them safe and there's a lot more going on that, that's killing our, our pets. There are other pets. It is a biggie. I've mentioned that before. There's a lot of data on that. that your neighbor dog is usually going to be your worst enemy for your dog. Your neighbor's cars, if your dog gets out, that's a biggie. We all know that. So there's a lot going on, It's and, and it's not just our raptors doing that. But, but thank you for the call, John. We appreciate it. All right, Cliff. You guys keep up the good work. Thank you. Bye. All right, this is Bird Calls. The phone number, if you'd like to call in with your question, is 800-552-8502. We've got about, oh, 18 minutes or less, so get your calls in. If you'd like to talk to our game wardens, if not, I will keep talking to them, and they have plenty to say. Hey, let's get back to Mike. He had a list of <laughs> coming up on scenarios that he needed backup. Let's hear another one. These are good stories. Oh, let's... A lot of different things. Just, you know, you just always want to be as safe as possible for everybody's sake. And, you know, it's nice to know that the fellows are there with you to help. And a lot of times, even with uh, with a lot of different, I'm sure Scott's probably got some of the same cases he's made where it occurred at multiple locations. Somebody could have thrown something somewhere 
have a deer hiding at this spot or a turkey hiding at this spot and they're at another spot at a house or everything's spread out amongst five different places and you know it's hard to be in uh, multiple places at once right right which is once again where that operation game thief comes in to help right so and, and i can tell you guys are you know safety is number one you guys are wearing your kevlar body suits your your vests here i mean how much do the i've never put one on i don't know that they, they make one big enough for me but <laughs> what how much does one of those things weigh i mean this one's fairly light that i'm wearing but i guess kind of co- total with our duty belt and and uh our vest and all the equipment that we carry i think an average is about 20 pounds 20 pounds that uh, for all gear combined yeah that we're wearing that's about so. like my lunch every day is about 20 <laughs> pounds <laughs> all right bird calls 800-552-8502 we've got james from lufkin on the line hello james hey good evening folks uh you guys i appreciate what you do uh, just a little quick question or a quick uh, comment. My grandpa, back in the 50s, carried me to Caddo Lake the first time I ever saw a wild alligator. But uh, anyway, I've got some customers of mine that are uh, licensed to take uh, birds and rehab them and get them into the system where they can be released. What do you have to do to get a license to do that? I'm 74, about to retire, and I'm looking for something maybe to do. Ooh, you want to stay up all night tending to baby birds and baby mammals and stuff? I don't know, man. I, I like my sleep too much, James. Well, unless maybe you can't sleep. Maybe you're one of those well, guys that doesn't sleep well, huh? Well, that's what happens when you get old. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, that's a good question. Let, let's turn that over to our game wardens. Scott, why don't you Thank field you. that first? Well, so our department has um, has a couple of... of things that you can do so we have a rehabber um, applications and licenses that that uh, you just go through our department you can call the the main number and then ask for uh, permits and licensing and tell them what you're interested in and they'll help you get the right paperwork and then if you're looking at birds and raptors that's a that's a federal um, license as well and so they'll they'll direct you to uh, to the federal fish and wildlife to uh, to help get that but uh I will go ahead and say that we're always needing um, rehabbers because when you when you do that through the state of Texas, we're not as fortunate as our, our counterparts in Louisiana. Our biologists don't do that. Um, they uh, they have lots of lots of things on their plate, and so rehabbers in Texas they do it on their own dime. Uh, there's no stipends or no anything from from the department, and so they uh, they build the facilities, they feed, they take care of all out of, the, out of their own pocket. And uh, so we're always looking forward to that. So, I mean, you can call our main number and, uh, and they'll get you the assistance that you need as far as licensing and information. Yeah, the first thing you, you want to do, James, is visit a facility and do a little volunteering and mentorship. See what it's like. Um, and, and like Scott just mentioned, they're on their own dollar. And, and we've mentioned this on the show before. If you have an injured or orphaned wildlife to donate to a rehabber, you got to do the homework and figure out where they are. And I always re- recommend giving a little money along with your donation of, of an animal, give donation of some cash. Cause like Scott said, they're on their own dollar. They're not paid for with taxpayer dollars. It's all out of their own pocket or donations that they can come by. So uh, keep them funded because we, we need rehabbers. Uh, Mike, what do you have to add to how to become a rehabber? Yes, sir. We have a lot of people that uh, and organizations that help 
help us out and volunteer their time and money. Uh, some here locally, they're kind of spread out everywhere. Uh, they're always looking for help. They're always looking for monetary donations. But if you're looking to get your foot in the door here, I would say call our department uh, in Baton Rouge, our, our main headquarters there, or you can reach out to one of our regional office and uh, ask them, and they'll point you in the right direction uh, with, with the Wildlife Division and, and where, where you can go to help. Well, man, I certainly appreciate that. I'm going to do that. I'm fortunate enough that I have a few funds that I can help them. And uh, you guys keep up the good work, and thank you. Well, thank you, James. You've got a big heart if, if this is how you're going to do your uh, retirement, and, and we all appreciate it. And I know the animals around you are going to appreciate it. So, so thank you, sir. Good job, folks. Thank you. Bye-bye. This is Bird Calls. We have a few minutes left. We have a few people on deck. The number here is 800-552-8502. Next, we're going to go to Henry from Shreveport. Henry, are you there? Yeah, yeah, I am. How are y'all tonight? Hey, we're doing good. How are you? Well, this is kind of a silly question, but uh, I got to ask honest. Uh, when I was a kid, I got left out in the woods with a sack trying to call for a sight, snipe. Ah, snipe. Is it really a snipe bird? Can you eat them? You got to have ah. a license or what's the truth? Yeah, well, that's a game bird. So we've got game warden. So, uh, Mike, you look like you're ready to answer that one about the snipe. Uh, yes, sir. I've been snipe hunting a time or two myself. Uh, there is a, actually a bird called a snipe. I didn't know that till I got this job, but there is, and uh, there is a hunting season on them, and there's a bag limit. I hear they're pretty tasty, but I've never ate one myself. So it's it's a shorebird that you know look, looks a little bit like a woodcock, but totally does not act like a woodcock. They're in kind of marshy grass areas or the edges of water, and uh, most people that hunt them do jump shoot on them. You know, you got to walk up on them and flush them and boy they bullet out of there and you better be a good fast shot so scott do you have anything else to add about the snipe um so in texas there's a there's a, a regular snipe season um but uh, it's kind of what you said it uh, they're they're more shore birds and and as far as where we are so uh here around northeast texas they're, they're not so common and uh but uh, regular season for this year was november 5th through february 19th and you can you can uh take eight eight a day and so uh, it is a game bird and is enforceable and uh, i got buddies down on the down on the coast that that absolutely love to hunt them because you know like you said it's kind of a spot and stalk yeah. type type of setup and they uh, they enjoy that so yeah i think it's unfortunate that as kids somebody made up this game of snipe hunting and that it's like you mentioned henry just kind of go out in the dark and just yeah. stand there and really? look like a fool and, and and there's a re there's a real thing, and and I found that with several things in wildlife, and you know one that comes to mind real quickly is people think that it's a joke the the the, the name yellow-bellied sapsucker. They think oh I heard that on a cartoon once. There's nothing like that. Well there is a real bird, and it occurs in our area in the winter called the yellow-bellied sapsucker, and you know people have all kinds of variations for that name like oh he's He's a, he's scared to death. He's just a yellow belly, and uh, oh, that guy's a sap sucker. But there's really that bird, and in your case, there's really a bird. It used to be called the common snipe. It's now called the Wilson snipe, and people have been hunting them for legitimately hunting them for a long time. So, the kid version is is different. It is a spoof, uh, but it's it's confusing because there really is a snipe, and there really are people that go snipe hunting. So. Does that help, Henry? Well, I'll, be, 
I'll have to read up on that. I really appreciate it. And yep. I got a quick question game orange real quick. Okay. Uh, another silly one, uh, Bigfoot. Is there really a Sasquatch or Bigfoot out there? What's the truth on that? All right. Well, uh, let's see. Scott, you, you look like you're ready to jump on this one. Have you seen Bigfoot in, out on in the woods? So I've never, I have never seen, um, I've never seen Bigfoot, and I spend 90, 95% of my time out there. I will say there are lots of folks that we interact with that are looking for him and that, uh, that have a lot of equipment and have dedicated a lot of time and, uh, and effort into, uh, into doing, uh, to, to looking, searching for, and all of that. Um, you know, never seen one, but uh, I'm going to leave it open and, and, and hope that if somebody finds one, they, uh, they call me so I can see it too. Yeah, there you go. Mike, have you seen Bigfoot? No, sir, I can't say I have. Um, do check a lot of people that are out there squatch knocking and uh, squatch knocking. Squatch knocking, yes. They've sir. got that term. Is that a verb? Is that? That's a that's a real term. Wow, yeah, I've never term. gone squatch knocking. Squatch knocking and uh, calling for squatches and things and uh, you know, never seen him, so I can't speak on it. So. Well, if you're knocking, what are you knocking on people's door and maybe Bigfoot's inside? What are you knocking on? The best of my knowledge is they uh, people will go out and they'll get a stick or something and they'll you know, hit on a tree or a log or something like that, and I guess the Bigfoot Sasquatch is supposed to answer him back. Boy, that sounds worse than that kid snipe hunting, huh? <laughs> I, I, think, I think I'd rather go kid snipe hunting than hitting trees limbs together. That sounds silly. Yes, sir. I had a hard life when I was growing up, but uh, I've always been scared of the Bigfoot, and I really think he's out there. I just think people aren't talking about it. Well, I, you know, if he if he's a real critter, I wish that there was a specimen voucher in a museum somewhere, but there ain't. There's uh, all kinds of footprints that can be uh, fabricated, and uh, but but as far as the real deal, we we've not you know, and I don't know. We've mentioned this before, especially in the last 10 years with all the game cameras out there, and they're taking pictures of so many things, not one as a Bigfoot. And, and so the, the Bigfoot image we all grew up seeing, it was snapped in, I don't remember, in the late 60s in California. It took 30 years for those guys to admit that it was a joke, it was a hoax, that one of those guys was wearing a, a basically a gorilla suit. And... Uh, mm -hmm. So uh, if that's our best evidence, then we're in trouble, and uh, we, we might as well look for, for, for the tooth fairy if, if well, we're going to look for Bigfoot. I won't tie your time up, but I really appreciate All right. that there. And I hope you all have a nice Valentine's Day. That's uh, right. Get home and get, get some loving and uh, make it happy, man. <laughs> that's right, Henry. Th care. Thanks for reminding us this is Valentine's Day. That's, that's, that's I, right. I did don't... mention that. Thank you for mentioning that, Henry, and thank you for the call. Yes, sir. Okay, yes, sir. We, we've got a few minutes left. We've got Rodney from Central Louisiana. Rodney, are you on the line? Hello, gentlemen. How are y'all this evening? Good. How are you? I'm okay. Okay. Um, what, what got, you got a question. Got a question for any of the experts in the Grant Wind Rapids area. Um, let's talk hogs, gentlemen. All right. Now, for years, we've had a number of hogs. There's a lot of people that complain about the hogs. I, myself, and the, the people that I hang with, we don't mind them. We shoot them. We eat them. I grind them. They, they, they make an excellent hamburger. Mm -hmm. But regardless, we know of all the hype that's been going on, all the talk about biologists trying to develop 
feeds that'll sterilize them and other methods of uh, of eradicating them and, and decreasing the herds. Um, a lot of people complaining about the destruction they do. Um, we've got three different clubs that we hunt on, and it consists of thousands of acres. And again, it, it's we here in this area. A lot of people talking. We don't mind them, but point being, my question is. This year, this hunting season, Lord, everybody we talk to, ain't nobody seeing no hogs. What they do see is strictly nighttime activity, and it's just a small group of them. Um, they are nothing like they was last year and the year before. What I was going, what I'm asking for is trying to keep the politics out of it. Is there anything going on with the hogs? Okay. Are we downside? Okay, gentlemen, who wants to start? I'll start that. This, this is Mike. Yes, sir. He's talking about Louisiana parishes. Uh-huh. Uh, well, sir, uh, I, rest assured, I see the damage that they cause, and I see uh, I see them quite a bit at night. Um, I've heard a couple hunters this year tell me that they haven't seen as many during the daytime, and it, during the daytime hours that I've been out there, I, I haven't seen as many as well. Uh, I see a lot of hunters that harvest them, and you know, it's it's. It's kind of hard to tell what happened to them. I don't, I don't know, but I, I'd assume just from the physical signs left behind that the population is still alive and well. Well, uh, yes, sir, I agree. They're, they're alive and there's a few out there, but it is nothing like it was. I guess my main question was, has Wildlife and Fisheries enacted any programs that they've been working on to try and decrease them? No, sir. In Louisiana, outside of uh, our department uh, listing the feral hog as an outlaw quadruped, there's nothing else that we've done as of yet. Okay. Well, I I would just like to throw one recommendation from just a dummy out here. Um, I personally think with with all the country folk around here, they can solve your hog problem for you if you ever had one. Um, Put a bounty on their tails. Put a bounty on them. Um, we do it with the neutral. We've done it with the beaver. Uh, turn these people loose. If you got a hog problem, turn them loose. Um, put a bounty on them, and I bet you you won't have a hog problem. That's right. That's right. But anyway, I thank you for your feedback. Okay. I was curious if anything had developed with the any programs that they had mentioned uh, to, to enact to attempt to knock the herds down. So. Okay. Thank you, gentlemen. You have a great evening. Great. Thank you for the call, Rodney. Um, we've got about 30 seconds. Scott, do you have anything to add about hogs in Texas? We come up with the magic dose to get rid of them? No, I think that they, you know, they've, they've tried, and but uh, we hadn't developed anything yet as in, in Texas or anything in our department is not doing um, anything that they've to, to try to cut the numbers down. I mean, I don't. I don't know if it's possible to do because yeah. they're so prolific. I, um, I don't think we're going to get rid of roaches or rats in the house, mice, and hogs. And he mentioned nutri. I don't see how we're going to get rid of them either. So I think they're here to stay. I think, Rodney, you're okay. We're going to have plenty of hogs, especially in your lifetime. They ain't going anywhere. That's it. All right, guys. Well, I want to thank you for coming on tonight and uh, being on the show. And it's been very enlightening. So thank you very much. We're going to go to our conservation tip, and the title is, Where Did That Species Go? Hmm, you haven't seen a certain species in a while, and you think the worst has happened. Most likely, it's not due to a disaster, but it's because there's been a seasonal change or migration is over. 
We've all witnessed the changes in weather and in plants that come with the season. Often, bird movements are tied to that too. Watch your backyard birds over time and soon you'll see which ones stay year round. You'll see others that merely pass through during migration versus those that stick around for just the winter months or just the summer months. The Northern Cardinal and Carolina Chickadee, for instance, are year-round residents in my backyard, while rose-breasted grosbeaks and Baltimore Orioles migrate through. All summer long, my yard hosts yellow-throated vireo and great-crested flycatcher, yet both depart south in the fall. As winter approaches, we look forward to the arrival of white-throated sparrows and yellow-bellied sapsuckers. Understanding seasonal abundance in our bird life can explain why they seem to have gone missing for certain periods of time. On this show, I've repeatedly mentioned widespread declines in many species of birds. This is the case across the board. However, seasonal changes do account for a predictable disappearance of many backyard species, but just wait. You'll see some familiar faces next year. Learn more about the birds that surround you. Do it for the birds. So that concludes this evening's episode. You've been listening to Bird Calls with me, Cliff Shackle, Ford resident ornithologist here at Red River Radio. I thank our two guests, Scott Robertson and Mike Cook, who joined us here in the studio this evening. Thanks, guys. Bird Calls has been made possible in part by the Community Foundation of North Louisiana. Tonight's episode was assisted by Kiara Lafitte, and there were several volunteers operating the phone bank. The photo of the American White Pelican on the Bird Calls webpage was snapped by James Childress. This show will be available soon as a podcast on our website at redriverradio.org. And remember, if you have a photo or a sound clip of a bird that you'd like me to identify, you can send an email to redriverradiomail at gmail.com. Again, redriverradiomail at gmail.com. Be sure to join us for the next episode of Bird Calls next month at 6 p.m. on Tuesday, March 14th. Happy Valentine's, and remember, do it for the birds.